one of the best lines I've ever heard about selling to B2B is that it's easy and expected for them to say no. They can't get into trouble for saying no, but they can get into serious trouble for saying yes if that yes turns into the wrong decision. So that's what we're going up against. So the way that I wanted to restructure it was what would be so painful to them to say no to that it's almost the equivalent of them making the wrong mistake if it went the other way. This is Super Fast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Franco here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 828. We do fully transcribe these. I'm speaking to my special guest and part of an ongoing series called the Get Leads series. It's Will Wang from Growth Labs with a Z.com. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back, James. I can't help but notice, Will, your set has changed since the last time we spoke. You have some colourful lights and a surfboard. It's very much echoing the tones around this office. I wonder uh, what's going on there. Yeah, I wonder who I get inspiration from. <laughs> I, uh, I thought we're doing a lot of these episodes. It's really good fun. And since we've gone to video, I thought, look, it's probably time to kind of spice up what I've got in the background. Uh, it was really funny. This is kind of a side, but I was looking back on one of the first episodes we've ever done. And my background was completely different. I had this shonky little bookshelf that kind of used to rattle and stuff. And now it's like a professional, semi-professional setup. So just a bit of complicating going on. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Well, you know, I can change the color on mine if we want. So I can dial in a different color. I'll, I'll go with uh, sort of pinky red just to give us some variation on the the set. <laughs> These days I'm thinking I'm going to ask my podcast guests what color they want the set to be. So Let's talk about this $30,000 email campaign you ran for a client. You certainly caught my attention with that. When we think of things to talk about, we want practical insights that are useful for people listening to this podcast. And you're constantly making it into the top 10, which is something because we do around 100 podcasts a year. And that's because what we talk about on these episodes with you is something we can put straight into our business. So you told me that you generated $30,000 from a single email. Normally, outside the online world, we'd hear shock and awe, like, oh, my God, are you kidding? Like, that's someone's annual wage or half a wage. In Australia, I think the average wage each year is 65000 Australian dollars. It's about 50000 US dollars a year. You know, that's big numbers for a man on the street or a lady on the street of any color, age, or, or whatever. So when we think about these numbers in the online world, that's not an unusual situation. However, there'll be people listening to this who have yet to generate $30,000 from an email. So that's why I want to cover this. It's what I would call a unremarkable case study, not to take anything away from the achievement, but it's not like you generated $30 million from one email. Mm. So we're not talking about pie in the sky stuff that's unrelatable. We're talking about a relatable situation that we could actually install and implement. And you're going to base this I think there's a seed of this off the nine-word email, which is going to be a great conversation for us, but with an adaptation. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the backdrop to this scenario that's happened for you that you've generated for a client, and then we'll just sort of break it down into a step-by-step process for someone listening to this episode. Absolutely. So this email, and you're right in saying that it's you know, go the backdrop of the nine word email, and we'll go into the psychology of that in a bit too. But I think the best way to do this is look at who my client is and the services they provide, because that's going to give you some really good context into why we're talking these numbers. Again, coming back to the numbers element of it, some people listening might say, well, 30,000 is a lot. Personally, when you look at other businesses that we work with, 30,000 doesn't even begin to pay the bills. So it's all kind of relative in terms of what it is. But this client of mine 
they're a branding agency, let's just say. So they're an SEO slash branding agency. They do work with some fairly mid-sized businesses, helping them to get better rankings on Google, helping them to get their brand awareness out there and just helping them grow leads in general. So kind of a similar space to where I'm in, except we don't really do any of the SEO stuff. This company came to me to get work or to get some help with the lead generation for the SEO services. Their package size, it kind of differs in ranges. It typically starts from about 3000 a month and it goes all the way up to $50,000 or $100,000 a month, depending on what their clients need. So again, that gives you a little bit of context into exactly what we're trying to sell and why we can actually get these numbers through. Now, I'll talk a little bit about the actual self and we can kind of work backwards to look at the process of getting to the sale. So the sale that we're talking about in general was $30,000 banked into their bank account within essentially three weeks of starting to work with us. Now, this email is probably one of my favorite strategies to use when new clients come on board. And what happened with this client was they went back to one of their leads. The leads read the email, responded, had the conversation and brought them on for the lowest tier package. So it was a $3,000 a month package. And because of the time of the year it was, they just wanted to pay them the full amount and book him in for 12 months so they could go back to their managers and get more budget for next year. So that's the kind of context. Okay, so hang on a sec. So what you're saying is this is an email that generated one sale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's great, isn't it? I think this is a really important point. I say this is a positive because sometimes we get caught up in big numbers. We know these internet marketers have lists of 800,000 people and they're sending out a lot of emails and they have low ticket. What we're talking about here is a high ticket product and where one sale can be made through a specific strategic campaign. And when you say us, you're talking about growthlabs.com, right? Your business as an agency, helping them as a marketing specialist. Okay. We're on the same page. This is exciting. I'm relating this too. You know, like when I run an annual event, I open it up to my members first. I send one email and we usually sell a hundred tickets at close to a thousand dollars each. So that's a hundred thousand dollar email banked in 24 hours. If you listen to this podcast and these numbers sound outrageous, mm-hmm. they are not in the online world. You can generate between one and a hundred or a thousand sales. I've got another client this week. We're on our group call in Silver Circle and he actually uh, started up a $10 challenge and he made 250 sales of it in the first few hours. And he hasn't even gone to the email yet. He just put it on his Facebook page. So it's 2,500. But when he sends the email to his database of thousands of people, that is going to turn into tens of thousands of dollars. And that's the front end. And then the back end is going to be following up with more product or service because people who purchase something at the front are very likely to purchase something at the back. Now, in the case you've just described, this is a really important point. They've purchased the same thing on a high frequency, essentially a monthly program on a frequency of 12. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I should quantify this by saying as well that I'm only talking about bank revenue because we can come back and talk about pipeline the pipeline that they built was actually massive it was way bigger than thirty thousand dollars but i thought it was really cool let's talk about pipeline sure what is definition of pipeline for you sure so pipeline as we looked at it with this client of ours was well how many conversations did this email bring back that will result in potential future work so as we measured it Yes, we got 30000 in book revenue in a single month, but going forward over the next three months, we actually measured the pipeline to be somewhere around one hundred and fifty dollars to $200,000. So that was additional revenue, which hadn't been paid to them yet, but we expected that to be paid in the next 
three months. And that will be measured in appointments booked, proposals issued, people specifying when their timeline or budget is, and then factoring in a typical closing percentage of how many could land across the line and, and what sort of products or services they might buy. And that's probably still measuring the front end, perhaps. Maybe the lifetime customer value will be quite high. For example, this $30,000 purchase, if that client stays on board, and here's a metric that's worth keeping in mind. If you have an annual client, then there's a good chance you'll have about a 50% renewal rate at the end of a year to the following year. And that's a number that works really well. It holds true for most memberships I'm working with, and it probably holds true for a lot of services. So half your annual clients will renew next year. So that's 30 thousand client is probably worth 45,000 by the end of year two and it's probably worth 51,000 by the end of year three roughly if they're an average sort of client so keep that in mind that the value from this email could actually end up being half a million dollars when we take into account what can come from it and it's really interesting it ties in with something I was reading today about stoic mindset and that is when you make a mistake or you drop the ball on something there'll be a compound effect as there should be ongoing from dropping that ball you can't just pick the ball straight up and make up for it so this is like a positive compound effect that you're doing with these emails so let's go into the next layer of this will yep Yeah, I just have one quick point on the numbers as well, because the number that you said was really good in terms of the renewals, but it's been a couple of months. I didn't want to talk about this just as it happened, so we can have some numbers to kind of refer back to. That client now has actually upgraded their package. So they were going from spending $3,000 a month, and now they're spending $8,000 a month. So that value has significantly increased. To how much per month? To $8,000 a month. Nice. So almost triple of what they committed to. And the pipeline has worked out really, really well too in terms of what's fallen through. So I wanted to talk about the front end piece, but you know, just know that there's a lot of potential if you keep nurturing leads and keep warming them up. And if you do a good job, your customers are going to keep coming back over and over again and buy more from you. So you got this from a single email. It's probably someone's going to ask, what was the email, Will? Tell us about the email. <laughs> sure. So the email was based on Dean Jackson's very famous and probably overused at this point, the nine word email, where we send our leads, for example, an email saying, hey, are you still interested in X, Y, or Z, which is either the service we provide or the benefit that our service has. Yeah, or the outcome, yeah. The outcome, exactly, exactly. So it was based on the nine-word email, but the services we were selling, we needed to be a little bit more nuanced about it and a little bit more sophisticated about this because typically I find that a straight-up nine-word email is good for maybe lower-ticket items or maybe with a B2C play, but this was a very personal, high-touch B2B play. So setting that, we've tried it before and it hasn't got the same results or the same power in a B2B environment than it does in the B2C environment. So we needed to adapt and to add some other things onto it to make it seem more personal, to make it seem more subtle, a little bit more softer, and to really bring the conversation back in a way that actually helped the sales team move it on. So one of the goals that we had was to get the leads coming back in a way that really quickly picked up from where they left off rather than having to restart the entire sales process again. So it's reigniting a previous database that had gone stale. Yep. So it was a very specific subset of of the database and the subset was leads who they had actually pitched to previously. So it wasn't even people who are just on the database. It was actually people who had seen some kind of proposal from them, but had said no for one reason or another. So in typical corporate, that'd be called a lost sale database. 
Yep. I mean, if you want to use CRM terms, it's a closed lost database is what my yep. clients call them. Nice. Yep. So how did you adapt this nine word email? What did you send instead? Yeah. So instead of the nine words, so the reason why the nine word works so well, there's a lot of psychological factors. I think just, you know, the fear of missing out, mystery behind it, the directness of the email and a lot of the other combinations. I mean, we can go on and on about the nine word email, but it works really well in the way that it does. Maybe not necessarily for B2B. So what we needed to change was we had to reference the fact that we had spoken to them extensively before. Now, given the fact that some of the people that they had spoken to might have left the company or they might have moved on to other roles, we wanted to bring the conversation back as quickly as possible and give some context into why we're reaching out again. So we started with something like, hey, we spoke to you at a certain date about one of your projects, one of your SEO projects. So we had to really reference and go back into their CRM and pull out some notes to personalize the email. And that's to stop them saying, well, who the hell are you guys again? Like, Because people, you know, they get list fatigue, they sign up to all these things, and then suddenly they'll... They're very quick to hit the spam if they don't have any inkling or it doesn't feel personal. They feel like they might have just been added to someone's database. And especially with the segment we're targeting, I mean, we had a lot of marketing directors, CMOs on board, and they had all seen the nine-word email before. So if we just sent a nine-word email, they kind of know what's up, and I don't think they would have liked it. So we had to really personalize it and make a reference to who we are and why exactly we're having this conversation again. You've said this in previous discussions. Basically, if your email strategy doesn't go to the extra effort to personalize, and we're not talking about just insert word or phrase here, we're talking about very specific steps. That could only be known by someone with insider knowledge that really tune it up. For example, yesterday I sold a surfboard. Today I followed him up and I said, how did it ride? Because he said he was going to surf it yesterday. And he responded back with, it was amazing. It didn't want to slow down. It was perfect. And I said, that's fantastic. Now I bet you when I want to sell another surfboard and I know this guy likes to buy the kind of surfboards that I like to sell, that I could follow him up and I've gone that, that extra personalization. I, could, I would say, how is that? And I did you know, talk about the specific board. And I say, is it still going as fast as ever? And I'd reference exactly that last conversation and it would actually show up in our conversation thread and he would remember who is sending this communication. But this is a step that almost everyone misses. Most of the emails we just hit delete or spam or whatever. There's no personalization effort. They could have been sent to everybody like a grenade and under the classic nickname for this, email blast. I think that's the dumbest name ever. We don't <laughs> want to blast our list. Anytime you're blasting, you're not personalizing and you're risking becoming commoditized and homogenized and pasteurized. Like it's, it's just a plain old <laughs> email send and it's not offering as much value as when you're going super highly personal. And we're talking explicitly here about selling rather than just mm. communicating an update that they've asked for a software upgrade or a podcast issue, etc. We're talking about a very strategic purpose here. We want to make that $8,000 per month sale. Exactly. And, and by the way, so, so the list size or the number of people we sent these emails to, it was 20 people. Okay. So we generated <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars on a 20 people, 20 person email list. That's what we're talking about, Will. Every single person listening to this podcast has 20 people they could access via email. It's as simple as that. There's actually zero excuse for someone to be listening to this and not be able to come up with 20 email addresses from the people in their field or to research. You could literally call up 20 offices and find 20 names and 20 email addresses if you wanted to, you know, do it the hard way. You could even door knock to get 20 email addresses if you had to. <laughs> so 20 emails is not a big number. Yeah, exactly. 
So going back to the emails, first we talked about the personalization. So what we did was we put out the exact month and year that we've spoken to to these people. Some of them haven't heard from us for about 16 months. So it's not a great list. So if everyone's listening saying, oh, you just had a really good list, it wasn't. It was an old list, 20 people strong. And some of them you know, had already moved them to other jobs. So we looked at the list. We took out personalization like the month that we spoke, a little bit about the topics that were spoken about. And then the next thing we did, which doesn't necessarily happen in nine-word email, was we gave them a trigger point. And what I mean by that is a reason why we're reaching out again. And the reason isn't, hey, we just want to sell more stuff this month. So we go back to the conversation. It was more about what was happening within the industry. So if you don't have something like that that you can use, go and do some research about the industry your clients are in. Go and do some research about what's happening in the world and make a reference and give them a reason why you're coming back and deciding to have another conversation with them. The best example of this is from the book Influence by Robert Cialdini, where he talks about this experiment in college, I think it was, where people were trying to cut a line to get the printing done faster. If someone came up to the first person in line and asked them to cut the line without giving them a reason, most of the time the answer was no. But if they gave any kind of reason, and it wasn't even a good reason, they could have said, can I cut the line because I want to get my printing done? The fact that they said because and gave a reason actually increased the chances of them being okay with you cutting the line. So that's why we had a trigger event in there. We referenced a change in the SEO environment in the marketplace, and that was the reason why we decided we needed to go back in front of these leads. Okay, so to throw a spotlight on that, Will's referencing the study where the key output was if you just use the word because, that would increase your chances of getting a yes. That hinges off the old sales maxim of you know, the reason why. People are very curious about motive. When I was in sales and when I taught people how to sell, I would teach them the telephone follow-up. We would often encounter people's voicemails and the same when I was a debt collector, actually. Most often voicemail. <laughs> it's really weird, but when people have big bills, they don't want to answer the phone. <laughs> and so I used to use news or updates as my reason why. I'd say, Will, if you could please give me a call back. It's James here from Mercedes-Benz. I've got some news for you regarding that AMG you're asking about. They would be curious now, what's this news? I'm going to call back. I wouldn't tell them what the news was, but I would give them a news or an update. I've got an update or something has changed in relation to how they're specifying that model you're interested in, Will. If you could give me a call, this is my number, and then I'd finish with the number because of primacy and recency. People remember the first and the last thing. Nothing worse than a voicemail message where they say, oh, call me on such and such, and then they go on to say other stuff and you forget the number and you have to replay it back three times. I always finish with the number and then I repeat the number. Anyway, that's an old debt collector's voicemail trick. But the exact same thing applies here. You have to have a reason why you're communicating with someone or else the reason is you're just late for your mortgage payment. Yep, exactly right. And I think that's such a good analogy as well. And uh, truth be told, I've actually done some phone-based debt collections as well because I was so <laughs> so much of an introvert that I thought, what's the scariest thing I can do? And it was actually going into phone-based debt collection. So uh, a lot of lessons learned from that. It's not even close to the scariest thing. If you, the, the scarier one is when you repossess face-to-face. <laughs> that's true. Because when I was telephone debt collecting, I realized something very important. The customer can't punch you in the face over the phone. <laughs> So it wasn't really as scary as most people would think. So that's how I deal with telephone reluctance when I'm helping someone learn how to sell. They can't punch you in the face over the phone. So there's really no downside. In fact, if you don't call, you automatically get a no. If you do call, you start to increase your odds of a yes. So that's one reason to pick up the phone. But yeah, debt collecting face-to-face, that is next level uh, (laughs) life-threatening. 
and I did have a shotgun pulled on me and I had a knife pulled on me and it was a little bit hairy. I even had a feral German shepherd try and attack me at, at one point. Well, I think they're called Alsatians to be politically correct. But in any case, I was doing all that when I was 20 years old. So I learned a lot about human communication then. But I think when I was actually out in the field, this is before mobile phones, I was debt collecting with a pager and we used to have a little pen and a slip and I'd have to leave a note on the door. And my goal was to get them to call a pager company and to give them my pager number to let me know that they're home so that I could go and repossess their car. So of course you can imagine I had to come up with some pretty interesting reasons why they might want to page me. <laughs> um, some of them I won't get into, but basically you've got to think about this. This is the same thing Dean Jackson talks about. What is interesting for your customer that would compel them to respond to the communication. If you can nail that, that will form the essence for great communication in any medium, any channel for any reason. If you can't, then you're just going to find it really difficult. Yeah, that's such a great point. And one thing that I will add as well is we dove a little bit further into the psychology behind this because you know, the trigger thing that we talked about was the change within the SEO industry. But what we needed to really do was to bring it back and say, why is it relevant to the people we were reaching out to? So we actually had another element where, look, I'm reaching out to you. I'm sending you an email again because of this change. I just wanted to make sure that you had everything in place to do with this. And you know, it's not going to have a massively bad impact on you when the change goes through. So alongside that reason or the intrigue and the news and thinking, well, how does the change impact me? We've put some some fear of missing out in there. We've got a little bit of fear. We're not trying to scare Monga, but it's true that if they didn't have everything in place and everything ready, the rankings they've been working so hard for could actually fall. So we use that as a psychological driver. It's been proven that fear always trumps greed most of the time. So if people are fearful of losing something they've worked for or they've built, they're more likely to respond in the way that we wanted them to. So we use a lot of the same principles behind, you know, debt collecting phone calls. Don't tell them everything. Keep it intriguing. Don't go into more detail than you need to. And the ultimate goal of what you want to do is to get them to give you a call back or to talk to them over the phone or face to face. So those were some you know, very similar principles in terms of how we structured the email. The part where you said don't go into more detail than you need to, I mean, that is really good advice. If you ever go to court and you work with a lawyer, right? I remember I was, uh, someone ran into me once and they got a negligent driving charge and I had to go to court as part of the police prosecutor's team to basically fight this guy who was trying to get off his ticket. And I went out as a matter of principle because I was driving a beaten up car and this guy was a really rich guy in a Jaguar and he thought that it was okay to run into me and not have any a penalty and I should just cop it because I had a beaten up car. But I went to defend, but they said, just answer the question. Don't elaborate or go into any more detail than they ask. Dean Jackson talks about it as separating the commitment from the logistics. So don't get bogged down in the technical. And I would say this is probably one of the number one mistakes I see people make when they're trying to send a sales email. They try to put the commitment and then all the logistics, they'd be like, hey, there's been a change in SEO. Here's the change. This is how we think it might affect you. This is how you solve it. We're running a webinar on this date. You need to register here. And if you register and you want to apply, then you'll be able to join the program. It'll be $5,000 per month. So click the link on the thing to go to our site and register. And it's like, forget about it. Yep. <laughs> Instead, it's like, hey, there's some big changes happening with SEO. We think, based on what we saw from your account last year, that this may affect you dramatically. If you'd like to chat about it, please hit reply. That's much simpler and lower friction, right? Mm. And you're separating the commitment from the logistics. You're only asking for a small thing just for them to hit reply and everyone can hit reply. 
And just on that fear thing, I'm thinking of the last couple of emails I got where that's true. Facebook sent me an email saying that they're going to remove all the analytics data. So if I want it, I can go and download it. But after this date, it'll be gone. So that would encourage me to actually do something. Same with Google. They sent me an email from my ad account saying that you need to verify or we'll stop serving your ads. I've got a reason why I need to do it. It's a valid reason. There's a time limit on it. And if I don't do it, there'll be a punishment worse than hell. And, you know, my life would be insufferable. Gosh, if I can't have Facebook or Google, <laughs> thankfully that's not the case. I could care less. But, you know, it's like I'm only just starting again my Facebook and Google ads after a long absence. But the point is those emails are very effective because there is a penalty if I don't do something. So you're actually providing these people a service. You're sending them something in goodwill as a gesture to help them be educated as to the changes happening in the marketplace that may impact them. And because you're the person with that message, you actually position yourself as the authority. I'm talking about your client and they're the ones doing the customer favor. And so why wouldn't they be the first port of call in getting that service provided if they don't want to do it themselves or don't have capacity or don't fully understand it? Yeah, exactly. And plus the fact that they've already got a relationship with you just makes it that much more easier to open the door and to get that next phone call. So, you know, with this process that we went through, it wasn't that we sold in emails. It was literally, how do we get these people back on the phones and see if they're still interested and if we can still help them? So everything that you said applied in spades. It was all about you know, just cutting to the chase, explaining how we can help, explaining what's going to happen and, you know, with the consequences, which will compound if they don't take action on emails and just giving the option to them on what they want to do. You just reminded me something. I don't mean to go too far off track, but when I was repossessing cars, sometimes the customer didn't want to give me their key. And I said, that's fine. Look, it's optional. So what we can do is we can just hook your car up to the tow truck and we can just drag it up the truck. <laughs> or you give me the key and we'll pop it into neutral and probably won't damage the car as much. But it's completely optional up to you. <laughs> so almost always they would give me the key. You know, because they realized that the only way forward really, realistically, is to do the thing that makes sense. So putting things in a way that makes sense to them is the thing, even if it's a difficult thing. Mm. And a lot of customers have to do difficult things. And paying a supplier is usually the last thing they really want to do. But we do it because we feel that we will be better off. And that's what selling is. It's creating the environment where the prospect feels that they will be better off for moving forward and making that payment. They'll be better off more than the amount of the payment made. If you can create that scenario in your email, then you're on track. Yeah, that's actually the final point of the email itself because what we've got to think about is even though we had a free phone call and a free order for the customers, it actually isn't free, right? Because these companies and these CMOs and marketing directors, they're really busy. They've got a million things going on. They've got team members they're trying to hire, fire, manage, all that kind of stuff. They don't want to go for it and sit down and have a two-hour audit. They literally just want to know what is it that we're doing wrong, how do we change it, and you know what the next step is. So we made it super simple to take the next step. We actually said, look, based on what we said last time and saw last time, we already know three things we can do to immediately mitigate 80% of the issues you're going to have. Wanted to share this with you on the phone. It's not really the best place to do it over email because it's going to get too long when can you chat and it just made it so easy for them to say that's brilliant you know i want to see what these three things are i obviously don't want my rankings to be hit let's talk tomorrow actually they would be negligent if they didn't take the free advice on how they could save themselves a train wreck 
if their boss found out they were offered that and they didn't take it, mm-hmm. they'd look silly, wouldn't they? And, and you're talking about people protecting themselves in these corporate positions. They need to do the right thing when they're faced with knowledge that can help the company. If they don't take it, they'd be crazy. Sounds very appealing. I'm sure a lot of them say, shut up and take my money. Yeah, I mean, I think from that email, the one email that we sent, it wasn't even a sequence, which we normally do. I think they had more than 10 conversations from that. So, so that's 50%. If minimum is about 3000 a month, you can imagine in terms of the numbers, why we forecasted the pipeline to be so big. And of course, in selecting that database, you would find people where it would be true that they really need to do something or they might be in jeopardy so that it's a relevant offer. It's compelling to the right prospect. Exactly. If it wasn't, we wouldn't have made the offer. The way that we structure emails normally is we use what's called permission marketing. So we don't just go in and say, the sky's falling down, everything's going to go to crap and you know, you're going to lose your job. We say things like, is it okay to run this by you? Are you seeing this as well? Are you finding this is the same in your industry or in your company? Because then it becomes their idea. And it's not like someone's trying to beat them with a stick to come and talk to us. It's more like, oh, that makes sense. And I thought about it for myself because we've asked them to think about it. And now it's their idea. And they're the ones who are brilliant and geniuses for talking to us. So we try to shift the dynamic that way where it's not a sales conversation, but it's uh, leading them on to, you know, for them to think that it's their idea to talk to us. That is the genius part. That's one of the most important things we've spoken about on this episode is to, again, I use words like create the environment. What I'm talking about there is letting the customer move through the game of their own momentum. But if you think about your favorite video game, the designers and and the creators have already come up with the whole game and defined the parameters and boxed you into a certain pathway. They're like, you can only go the way that they've allowed, but you feel like you're in charge. You feel like you're evading the bad guys or driving through the course and, you know, beating the competitors. You feel like you're in control, but in reality, you're within an environment where everything has been set up for you to have that feeling. So this is good, especially when you're talking B2B. Those people, you know, their whole job is really a big pride fest and they need to retain Mm -hmm. face. They need to be seen as doing the right thing. That's part of the game. And, And this all stems back to the fact that for most employees, they're tied to one paycheck. They make one bad move and get leveled out of the game, that's it. Bye-bye house, bye-bye pride. They're in jeopardy versus an entrepreneur who's got 3,000 customers who could really care less if one customer is annoyed or whatever. It's not going to break them. But when you're an employee, you have that umbilical cord that if is severed, it could be detrimental. So that's why they operate out of a place of safety, which, you know, ergo fear is a very strong hot button for someone in that environment. Yeah. One of the best lines I've ever heard about selling to B2B is that it's easy and expected for them to say no. They can't get into trouble for saying no, but they can get into serious trouble for saying yes, if that yes turns into the wrong decision. So that's what we're going up against. So the way that I wanted to restructure it was what would be so painful to them to say no to that it's almost the equivalent of them making the wrong mistake if it went the other way. That's kind of what I was saying, where if they were presented with an opportunity to save the business and they didn't take it, that would look like a dumb mm. decision in hindsight. Yeah, exactly. So we're on the same page and I've spent enough time in corporate to feel this, which you know, is a big reason why I left that world in 2008. And guys like you, Will, you're out there doing it. If you're a business-to-business situation here, or if you're a corporate, listen to this episode. If someone sent you to this episode and said, hey, these guys know how to write emails that could generate you big sales off a small database, then Will is the guy at growthlabswithaz.com. Let's just wrap this up, Will. So give us the breakdown of the email, just some of the elements. You mentioned them before, but we'll just step them out again. 
Yep, sure. So a quick summary of what the elements were. The first part was a reference or a personalization to a conversation that had happened earlier, remembering these are warm leads. So before that, it's like database selection of people with a specific problem you can solve and then finding out the specific information that you can then use in the communication. And in this case, it turned out to be just 20 people which is fine. Yep, exactly. So yeah, you're completely right. It starts from selecting who we're going to send things to. If you're ever in a situation where you say, I want to market to everyone or everyone on the list, think again, segment better, get more specific, get really down into details of who it is you're going to be sending a message to. And in this case, it was leads who had received the proposal, but had refused to come on board at that time. So close lost leads. So that was our selection. Our thinking was, hey, why don't we run a campaign to see if we can get a few more conversations come from that, you know, chances are they haven't decided to go for a competitor. They've just decided they're not ready yet. So that's why we decided on this segment. We picked the segment. We structured the email in a way that uh, we could be more personalized because we knew that every single lead that said yes is worth a lot of money to this company. So if this was more of a B2C play, we would have done it a little bit differently, obviously. But because it is worth so much every single yes, we knew we had to personalize it. Then we looked at what data points do we have to personalize this with and it ended up being you know, what was in the proposal when we had a conversation, who in the company it was with, and what services they were looking at. So those were our really strong data points. Only after we had that information did we go into the email itself. And at that point, we looked at, first of all, what data do we take to open this email up and get them to understand that we're friends already, right? I use that term loosely, but we're acquainted already and we've had a conversation before. So we're not complete strangers. They're coming from nowhere. So personalize the greeting. Hey, Fred, how are you going? I know we spoke together, you know, three or four months ago about some SEO solutions for you. Hey, just wanted to follow up because I've been hearing something that I thought you might be interested in. So we open a loop, we get them excited or curious even about what we're talking about. And then we go into the trigger, which is why they should be curious, right? So that was something like we're hearing grumblings about this change within SEO that I think based on your structure could have a massive impact. So that's the trigger point, And that's a point of fear if they don't do anything or fear of something that might happen if they don't respond or don't think about it. And then we go into one more personalization where we say, look, we've already thought about a few things you can do to mitigate this based on what we saw from your account last time. So we're offering them a solution, offering them hope. And we finally say, look, if this is something you thought about, or if you'd like to find out more, or even if you just want to have another chat with us to see how you can be better prepared, we'd love to continue the conversation that we had last time. So we put it back in their court. We asked them for permission to share all this information. They're thinking, oh, wow, you've already prepared something for me. So for them, it's like, well, this is a big win. You've got information specifically for my company. You know, worst thing that can happen is I can jump on a call and I waste half an hour. But the worst thing that can happen is I don't take this call and my SEO goes out the window and I've lost 24 months of hard work. So when you've got all of the elements, it lined up really nicely. And uh, yeah, the result was 30000 in banked revenue in a single month. Awesome. Now, what about the objection? Oh, there's no big news in my industry. Uh, you know, there isn't an impending doom situation. I know we've seen the classic old ones, you know, like email is dead or podcasts are dead. That's the sort of a crutch, I suppose, that people fall back on. I imagine you could do variations though. Like, hey, look, if you're still doing X, then you really need to be aware of this new, you know, why. I know the 16-word sales letter, for example, hinges its whole success on giving people a new idea or a new delivery system or a new thing that they're not using or not aware of that changes their paradigm. Have you got any go-to things that you sort of lean on or would you say you've ever encountered 
a scenario where you couldn't find a, an interesting enough reason why? If you think long and hard enough, there's always a reason why you should be reaching out. But you're right. Not every industry is you know, going to get stuffed up by one of the big players. It's not always doom and gloom. You can use really good reasons to reach out as well. So for example, a campaign we ran for ourselves, we use a case study and we said, hey, we've actually come up with this new way of structuring emails, which is getting us really great results. Based on our conversation, I think this structure will work well for you as well. Just wanted to see if you want to pick up the conversation again, and we can share this idea with you freely. You can go and run with it and generate more sales. So it doesn't have to be negative, but it has to be relatable to what they're trying to accomplish. Perfect. So the short answer is innovation. If you innovate, do your R&D. Like if you're in a really big market like uh, plant-based eating or whatever, then there's going to be a research paper published next week Mm. on the changes in hormones from a certain whatever that you could go to your audience with. If you're in the property investment market, there'll be a new tax legislation allowing first home buyers a special allowance or whatever. And you could go and find those people in your audience. So there will be things. You just have to change something in your business and now you have a reason why. And the fact is change is inevitable. It's a constant. It's the only thing we can actually count on being the same is that there will be continual change. (laughs) So I don't think it's a big deal. Will doesn't. But if you're stuck for an idea, then just flick Will an email, get in touch with him. He does answer listener questions from this show. This is episode 828. We've been talking about the $30,000 email, but of course we've discovered that it was far more valuable than that. But every conversation we have, Will, is valuable. This Get Clients series is amazing. I appreciate you coming on and sharing so generously, and I look forward to our future conversations. I'm going to ask you for some hacks and things, how we can reboot stale campaigns, what sort of things you look for, and uh, I'm sure that will provide us a future discussion as well. Definitely, and I think one interesting discussion we're going to have as well is all about launching as well, because as you know, James, you've helped me so much in terms of my business and all these little ideas I always come up with, and there's a couple of ideas coming up where I'm building from scratch, so I'm happy to bring you know the entire strategy behind it, where we market, how we market, do all of that kind of stuff, so I think that might be interesting for a certain part of the audience and happy to pull back the curtains and show everything that we do for the launches. You know, one thing we did recently that worked out great was I sent an email to my audience, which you helped me draft, and it was for our upcoming Grill Will episode at the time, and we asked for listener questions, and we got the answers, and then we answered them all on our Grill Will episode, which was one of our previous episodes, and it was very popular, and we awarded a prize. I made you issue a prize winner on the spot, even though you wanted to pause on that. Mm -hmm. Great feedback from that. I'm sure we'll do another Grill Will. So you've got a question for Will, flick it through, just reply to any of my emails with hashtag grill will i'll compile them again and we'll ask will these questions and we'll get some answers for you thanks so much mate awesome thanks again james always amazing being on here okay see ya discover how to build your business super fast check out superfastbusiness.com